Welcome to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of low-budget cinema. The sleep of reason gives birth to monsters. Hi, my name's Chris, and along with Jeff, we're bringing you the very best and worst of horror, sci-fi, post-apocalyptic wasteland, kung fu, and women in prison movies from the 1960s to today. Check us out at reallyawfulmovies.com, part of the Crypt TV family. From our downtown Toronto headquarters, here's episode 7, a look back at the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Alright, so in our last uh, podcast, we were talking sort of about uh, some of the seminal films that got us into horror, and we talked about uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now, uh, Chris was saying that he got into, he watched it when he was young. Really young, with a bunch of friends. And, and <laughs> yeah, we were so terrified of what might happen. Because exactly. we were 12 years old, uh-huh. that uh, we were watching it from a pull-out couch, and we were ready to, like a drawbridge, lift the uh, end of the bed so that if anything really frightening or gory happened we wouldn't wouldn't see it of course it prompts the question why we didn't just cover our eyes but someone had this idea and thought it'd be a good <laughs> idea so yeah that left an indelible stamp on me for sure so it was probably the first bona fide horror i'd ever seen okay and the third overall like scary movie i'd ever seen right so, and, and you were we saying just revisited it recently, and well, know, I mean, I've revisited many, many, many times. Many times I've, yeah. I've seen yeah. it probably about thirty times. But I mean, you said you were terrified about what would happen, yeah, and you also mentioned in the last uh, podcast that it was, yeah, it wasn't that gory, really, in retrospect. And they they really pulled their punches in terms of the of you know, the gratuitous violence, and it was mm-hmm. more of the psychological, right. which made it really effective. So, I mean, back then, you're a, you're a young kid, and you wanted, you basically you wanted just... to see chainsaws tearing into flesh, because that's what you anticipated. Right. And, and at the time, we showed some false bravado saying, oh, this is ridiculous, because we thought it was tame. Mm-hmm. But little did we know, <laughs> it was actually a fantastic psychological thriller. And it really holds up to this day. Well, the reality is that so. uh, TCM is basically it's sort of movie where its, it's reputation precedes itself. I mean, you hear the mm-hmm. title alone, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, certain images come into your head, right? <laughs> and uh, you anticipate that this is going to be like the bloodiest, goriest movie you've ever seen. <laughs> In a way, you would not have had it been had it called Head Cheese. Its original title. Head Cheese is one. Another face is being another. Yep. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's really funny because, I mean, TCM is the sort of movie that works on you. It, it's, it's, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a visceral movie. It's a, it's a hard horror movie, but it's not the gore fest that most people think it is. No. It is. What it is, is it's a movie that sort of worms its way into your consciousness. It, it scares you. It unnerves you. Um, but it's not the... Yeah, it's, it's not the... Ne plus ultra violent nasty gore one would think. In fact, it has more in common with maybe, maybe something like Deliverance than anything else. It that, does, that's what so I yeah. was thinking too, because it's got, it's got the hillbillies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's got the uh, more ur- the urbanites, I guess you could call them. And even though I mean Texas is really divided into two, 
there's Dallas and Houston mm -hmm. and Austin where this was lensed and exactly. basically everything else. So you go a few miles outside these major centers mm -hmm. and you're in places that are off the beaten path. Well, one of the things Toby Hooper said when he um, was talking about the genesis of uh, making Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that one of the things he wanted to exploit was the urbanite sphere of the, the rural... The other, yeah. The other, the other. The, in this case being the, the rural sort of farmer, you know. <laughs> I mean, there, there's... There's been a lot of sort of like I guess you would say hillbilly horror movies uh, yeah. that came in the wake. Exploitation. Exploitation mm -hmm. came in the wake of, of uh, Texas, but nothing quite as uh, effective nor as long lasting in terms of the influence of Texas Chainsaw. So I mean, we're talking about the reputation of Texas Chainsaw and uh, how it sort of precedes itself, and you sort of put it in, and right off the bat you're expecting just like you, you want to see like you know limbs being hacked into right away, connective tissue being severed, you know blood guts gore i mean it's there but you know what a lot of texas is basically what you're not seeing mm -hmm. you know what i mean like i mean the mind when you watch this movie this is the, the brilliance of the movie is that the mind connects it the mind fills in the blanks quite a bit in fact um our friend lewis who uh runs suspect video this uh, yeah, suspect video is a you know one of the best video stores you know, in the world, I right. say. but we're lucky to live steps from it, and he has every film. Right. He's a wealth of information about this kind of thing. So, uh, Lewis, I mean, we were talking about TCM one day, and he said to me that uh, people will come, you know, will come to the store, rent the movie, come back and say, hey, what did you do? You rented me the cut version. Yeah. I wanted the uncut version, the one that I saw when I was a kid, the one with all the, uh, you know, the heads being severed, <laughs> and so on and so forth, because, you know, because their, their memory, their recollection is that this movie had so much more gore so much more i guess it was for lack of a better word chainsaw action than what mm -hmm. it really had it's there it's mm -hmm. there but it's done in such a way that the viewer puts it there so i mean lewis has to basically say no this is the unconversion of texas yeah. chainsaw massacre um so that i mean it's kind of funny so you talked about uh renting this movie as a kid and you know really being um geared up for this uh Extremely, 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 yeah, and and uh, disappointed, but in actuality, if you were to check our mental state, probably relieved at that point that it wasn't the gore fest, it because we wouldn't have been uh, equipped to handle it. Now, I mean, did it have any sort of lasting psychological effect on you when you were a kid, or I remember the opening credits. I remember John Larroquette and the sort of faux documentary. You know, yeah. this, this really happened and and whatnot, and and that really had a lasting impact. As did the grandpa. Because obviously, as a kid, a grandpa is such an important <laughs> figure in your life, and when mm -hmm, you see mm -hmm. these these people, the way they're depicted in that attic, oh my God, that yeah. really stuck with me. Well, I mean, that's another thing too that uh, the, uh, Hooper and uh, Henkel, uh, Kim Henkel, the writer of the movie, I and mean, they want to explore too, was the uh, dynamics of the family, family the generational. Yes, given the name Sawyer in uh, in the sequel, Texas Case of Massacre Part Two, but really um, in Part One, they, they were. They weren't really given a name, although uh, in Gunnar Hansen's book he says their name was actually Slaughter, the Slaughter, Slaughter family. But yeah, and we Slaughter was apparently on that gas station. Exactly. The family owned it, but who noticed that? But I mean, yeah. you know, this was a family that was basically uh, hit by hard economic times. You know, they were uh, workers at the local slaughterhouse who were put out of a job. Um, and yeah, you have this really war family dynamic in the sense that you have, I mean, you know, like you have... You have grandpa, you know, living uh, basically uh, comatose uh, yet adolescent grandpa living upstairs. 
You got the older brother, the cook, played yeah. wonderfully by Jim Cedow. Yeah, he's um, incredible. You got the the hitchhiker played by Ed O'Neill, another brother, and then you got Bubba. Ed, Ed O'Neill from American Children. Ed O'Neill, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> from Modern Family. Modern Family for younger viewers. Oh, Ed Neal, and uh, yeah. and then you had uh, you had Bubba, otherwise known as Leatherface, played by uh, Gunnar Hansen. Gunnar Hansen, um, whose, whose book we just read, it's fantastic. Yes, for indeed. Out there, just check it out. Um, so, I mean, the, the family is something that's definitely explored in uh, in Texas Chainsaw, and uh, the breakdown of the family, sort of like you know, <laughs> your <laughs> nuclear family. It's, yeah, indeed. It's breakdown. Um, but uh, so before we talk about that too much, I want to talk about how I sort of um, saw TCM for the first time. In the last podcast, I talked about getting to horror rather late. I talked about working at this warped video store that had like the weirdest back catalog ever. They didn't have Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, they didn't have Part 2. They didn't have Part 3. What we did get was uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. Mm -hmm. The one that is quite, I, I guess you would say, infamous for starring uh, Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> yeah. Two. Ma okay. Okay. Two, no, no editorial comment in here. I'm okay. not a fan of either, but go ahead. <laughs> well, Matthew McConaughey is yeah, kind of... Both a, terrible. Let's no, no. Yeah. McConaughey is, is, is experiencing a bit of resurgence. But anyway. Even those car ads. <laughs> well, okay, whatever. True detective and, and whatever. Yeah. Um, so... The reputation of uh, Texas Chainsaw, I mean, it was always loom large in my brain. I always thought to myself, okay, well, this movie, this is the BLM all of horror. And so I took home uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, popped it in, and was absolutely appalled. Not by the horror, not by the gore, but just how bad the movie was. was. Yeah. It was a terrible movie. And I'm look, I'm watching it, and, like, and I'm going, this this is Texas Chainsaw? I mean, this is what every, the, the, all the fuss is about? Yeah. I mean, I was I couldn't believe it. I, I did hear that the director wanted to remove his name from the credits and Alan Smithify himself. Did he really? From it, yeah. Well, um, but Kim, wasn't Kim Henkel the director? Oh, was it? Oh, I was thinking of the, the previous one. Sorry. Okay, yeah. yeah no, anyway, Kim... that, that's, it stands to, you know, all of them were terrible with the exception of two. Two was good, but I mean, two was a bit of a parody. But anyway, uh, Kim Henkel, who actually directed, uh, sorry, who wrote the first Texas Chainsaw along with Toby Hooper, Directed uh, this uh, this this abysmal movie. Uh, it was supposed it to, be, to be a return to form. Yeah, it intended to be the real sequel, it was but it was it was garbage. Nothing, yeah. But anyway, I mean, the, the, you know, I, at the same time, I'm like, I have to, I have to see Texas Chainsaw. I have to see the original. So um, I rented it. Uh, we have another pretty cool store called Bay Street Video. Um, rented it on DVD. Popped it in, and from the very first frame, you know, you get that that sort of like ponderous. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, voiceover, by voiceover by John, John Larroquette. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, this is the, a true story. Yep, the events you're about to see is true, and then, and of course, at that point, I knew it wasn't a true story. But nonetheless, all the same, you know, all of a sudden you hear that that I can't even imitate the sound that that camera that uh, Goddard calls a stinger in his book. That yeah. sound, like right away, like this is iconic, right? There's flashes of this and that. Oh, the, the sunspots were unbelievable. Right, you knew something was. It was just seemed there was it was nothing. There was nothing like it. Yeah. Just, you didn't know what it was, but you knew you were, it was unsettling. Yeah, totally. And I'm watching this movie, and all of a sudden, like, I'm like, okay, now this, this is the real deal. You know what I mean? Forget that that garbage I saw. Like, this is something. And, I mean, talk about the sound. I mean, the, you can watch that movie with the the uh, the picture off, just the sound. Mm -hmm. And that's the sound is going to terrify you. I remember because, I mean, it was on DVD, so it was five points around. I mean, the whirring chainsaws. Oh, yeah. The animalistic noises on the soundtrack. You know, there was pigs. There was... There was cows. I mean, um, it yeah, was... Yeah, Gunnar Nelson. Uh, Gunnar Hansen. Oh, 
My, my the, bad. Nelson. <laughs> yeah. We're not talking Sorry, about Ed 90s O'Neal. boy bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he, he, I guess, went uh, went to a farm to uh, imitate how pigs squeal he for did. his character. Squeal like a pig, yeah. Squeal, squeal like a pig, boy, yeah. It's all coming back to deliverance. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. It's just, yep. all, all these sounds and images, and I guess it was loosely inspired by Ed Gein, this serial killer. And what is it about Wisconsin? There's Jeffrey Dahmer and Ed Gein. Like, uh-huh, uh-huh. They're, they're known for cheese and serial killers. I don't know why there's so many, but anyway, he took that well, bare bones story and, mm-hmm. and ran yeah, it. Yeah, no, I mean the the, the Ed Gein. Uh, he's he's basically uh, inspired a number of movies. Uh, Psycho being another one. Oh really? Uh, a really really um, very very cool sort of um, underrated undersea movie called Deranged, right? But I mean there are similarities in the Ed Gein uh, story to Texas Chainsaw, but it really isn't. Basically, the skin masks that would have been in the digging up of the of the corpses. But what in Psycho inspired was inspired by Ed Gein? Well, again, the wearing of uh, the mask. I mean, oh, when, okay, I yeah, see. Yeah. Okay, and uh, the the drag. There might have been some sort of um, Oedipal complex. I'm not. I'm not an expert on mm-hmm. Ed Gein, but I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> that's I, a good thing to know. Oedipal, or anyway, whatever. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm watching Texas Chainsaw and. This film is getting to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, here I am now. I mean, I'm no longer the kid that's afraid of my own shadow. I've, I've, I've got some horn in my belt, and I'm watching this movie. I'm. I remember like that very first scene when you see Leatherface when he, you know, you know the, the door opens and there he is like this imposing figure and boom, boom, that was it. Death Dead. immediately. You know what I mean? No foreshadowing or anything. No chase. Just yeah, that's shocked the hell out of me. He slams the door and you're like, what the hell did I just see? Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's a testament to Gunnar Hansen's performance um, because I mean this guy, very you know, no dialogue, um, few and, animalistic noises here and there, basically uh, body language. Oh, of and, course. And and the audience was anticipating the hitchhiker to be the one who would go go ape shit and massacre everyone in the van. Mm-hmm. And of course they they mess with expectations and. Well, he's psychopathic and, and deranged and cutting yep. himself and everything. That's oh, that, yeah, not yeah. where it went. They, mm-hmm. they let him go. And who would have thought that? A hitchhiker. It's like almost a cliche. You pick up the, you know, the uh, weirdo hitchhiker and, and then he, you know, something untoward happens. But this, they let him out and everything seems to be fine. Mm-hmm. But then this, this giant guy who I guess Toby Hooper cast him because... He filled out the door frame. That's what he so said. For, forget yeah. about a nice read. Oh, like you're you're uh, you know you're a Sir Anthony Hopkins esque read of, of your lines. No, yeah. He was six foot four, six foot five. He filled out the frame. Yeah, great. Six foot four, and then <laughs> yeah. they, they they gave him, they gave uh, him three heels, heels, yeah. so six or seven. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, actually, it's funny you mentioned the hitchhiker because that's that's another thing too. I mean, we, when we meet the uh, I guess you would say protagonist of the movie, mm-hmm. um, you know, the kids in the van, and you're introduced to the character of Franklin, played by Paul Partain. Yeah, uh, 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 differently abled, uh, yes, handicapped guy. That, yeah. that was way ahead of its time to put even for forget about. Just, just what any character who has some sort of disability in a film oh. was way ahead of its time. Forget about the fact that <laughs> he, could, he could have been a sympathetic character, but he well, really isn't. He, he's an asshole. Oh, my God. I mean, he's, he's a got, terrible he's, man. He's just this annoying guy. I mean, like, yeah. right, right, you just want, you want to see the, the guy suffer. You want to see him. You want <laughs> suffer to see, more than he already has. You want he's, to see, exactly, pain inflicted <laughs> upon this character. He's I mean, a paraplegic. Uh, how much more suffering do you want him to right. have? Like, but he was whiny. He was, I mean, he was, oh, God. And again, so they pick up this, this hitchhiker played incredibly by, not Ed O'Neill, uh, no, Ed no. Neal. Ed Neal, sorry. And yeah. right away, all of a sudden, you know, this sort of off-kilter sort of... Strange dynamic, yeah. yeah. That is a bit of a cliche, picking up the hitchhiker, mm-hmm. and the hitchhiker oftentimes becomes, you know... The, hey, but offset by 
you know, a disabled person in a van. It's yeah. just really incredible to see and really quite shocking. And he, he did, he, he, yeah, I guess he later on erased any sort of sympathies anyone might have had for him and initially, I guess he was, as he was rolled down a hill. <laughs> and afterward as he's you know with that whiny voice and looking for his friends you just figure just let him be just let him let him loose in the woods don't push him around anymore just let him be you know like yeah. let him be cannon fodder for the for the family while you get away now amazingly <laughs> enough uh partain i mean the guy was a method actor mm -hmm. so he was like that on set 24 7 and uh gunner hansen uh said he could not stand Paul Pertain. He could not wait for that scene when he actually managed to like carve him up with a chainsaw. Um, <laughs> and the rest of the cast said they <laughs> they had no dealings with Gunnar Hansen because, because he stunk. He, he stunk, and also because it was the dynamic of there's the the innocents mm -hmm. and the annoying guy, and then the killers, and they all separated until you know uh, after which point any one of them was murdered then they would associate with the, with each other otherwise mm -hmm. they stayed separate and mm -hmm. that I think added to the the uh, the drama, because uh, unlike a lot of these films, it was incredibly well acted. Oh, without a doubt. Okay. I just want to clarify when I say he stunk. I don't mean he stunk as an actor. I mean no, he, no, literally he stunk, stank. literally stunk. I mean, stunk. Yeah, from, they were filming in like you know 100 plus degree uh, Texas heat. I mean, the guy had. I mean, it was a very it was a shoestring production, very low budget. Yeah, so they were not laundering the, uh, the right. Uh, yeah, the outfits. They didn't so. have, you know, the changes of clothing. I mean, mm -hmm. they would wear the same outfits day in, day out, and yeah. So I mean, they were quite ripe. Um, <laughs> But getting back to Partain, uh, Hansen said that uh, years later he met Paul Partain. Yeah, he was a who cool dude. Is an abled guy. Yeah, who, you know, and he said he was a great guy. Yeah, he was just he was so immersed in his role that yeah, he, he just he wanted to be the biggest, uh, you know, wheelchair bound genius, most annoying. Flint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so we have these. Uh, what is it one, two, three, five, five kids in the uh, in the van? I think so. Yeah, and uh, they're heading up to um, the I guess the ancestral home of one of the. Uh, one of the um, one of the kids, and um, you know, uh, sometimes you just take that wrong turn and you end up in the wrong place at the mm -hmm. wrong time. And that's sort of what happened. I mean, there was no real rhyme or reason for these kids to get killed. No, with the exception of uh, Partain, who was an annoying little <laughs> shit. Uh, yeah. They were good kids. They wandered to the wrong house, and yeah. all they, they wanted to do was uh, hang out and hit the local swimming hole. Swimming and hole, relax. Yeah. And they weren't even fornicating no. or, or, or smoking <laughs> pot. Shockingly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Nudity didn't precipitate any of these killings. It was no, just, no, no. Uh, although we would have liked to see a little bit. I mean, well, uh, you know what, Marilyn Burns. In retrospect, it would have taken away from the effectiveness uh, yeah, of the movie. Probably, but uh, going back, right. yeah. So I guess I, uh, we should talk about Marilyn Burns a bit. I mean, uh, Marilyn Burns is, I guess. I guess, yeah, I would say she's um, the, I wouldn't say the proverbial, but the archetypical... Final girl. Final female. What this poor woman went through, I mean, it's funny because a lot of the, I mean, when, I guess at this point we're not really spoiling the movie. I mean, those that are listening have seen the movie, I would hope, right? But Hey, if it's a movie about a bunch of psychopathic, chainsaw-wielding killers... Cannibalistic. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not like <laughs> you could give any possible spoilers. Right. And, but I mean, everybody meets their demise, uh, their untimely demise, pretty quickly. But uh, poor, Lynn, poor Marilyn Burns goes through quite the ordeal, uh, mm -hmm. both on celluloid and off, yeah. and um, including the uh, the dinner scene, which we'll talk about in a moment or two. Mm -hmm. But uh, this this woman, God, did she know how to scream? Yeah, incredible, incredible. And uh, she knew how to scream. One thing she didn't know how to do was run, <laughs> apparently. Um, Gunner yeah. said that uh, despite the fact that uh, he, he, he was, was... A giant. He, he a would giant. easily catch up to her with his, I guess, his strides. 
So I guess he would stop in the woods and I guess chainsaw he would just uh, all of a sudden trees like just, to just let her get away. And yeah, and you know, so she would keep. I mean, the thing is, I mean, you talk about like, I mean, this in a way, this was cinema verite. Like in mm -hmm. a lot of ways, um, the injuries that the actors and actresses were were incurring were real. Yeah, the blood you saw was real. Uh, when Marilyn Burns got her hair tangled in the tree, they were, it was really tangled in the yeah. tree. The chainsaw was real. It was, I mean, they had a dummy chainsaw without the, but most of the time they would use a real chainsaw. Yeah. Uh, the blades were whirring. I mean, it was constant danger. Um, apparently the, the shoot was, it was hell. Um, and Neil did a tour of duty in Vietnam. Really? And he did. Yeah. And he said that that was nothing compared to his time on the set of Texas Chainsaw. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, most most of the time when there's a chase in a movie, that's mm -hmm. when I tune out. And I just, uh, yes. chases are just, it's just filler to me, and, and they're frequently not done well. But this, I mean, was just heroin oh stuff. Oh my god, you just want to see... I couldn't believe it. And, yeah, it's just, the way it was lit, and the way they were just cutting through through the branches, yep, and... Yep. Yeah, I, I was just I was just riveted. And there was, there, yeah, I mean, like, all you want to see was some vestige of, like, sanity, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That Marilyn Burns would sort of, like, or her character, um, Sally, uh, you know, you know, some, some sanctuary she could find. I mean, yeah. and every time that she would, like, you know, to sort of quote The Godfather, every time she was out there, keep pulling her back <laughs> in. Her, yeah, you yeah. know, I mean... The, the quote, I, <laughs> the Sopranos quoting The Godfather. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's, you know, I mean, she goes to the uh, to the gas station, and uh, there's the kindly cook uh, that we saw met earlier in the movie, and uh, he's part of the clan, right? Yeah, I guess the, the, the uh, psycho at the gas station, that's sort of, that's a sort of trope that's been revisited a number of times. Where the uh, the hard partying frat people go go yep. out into the uh, Virginia or the Georgia woods and they stop for gas and they meet some loon, but of course in this case I guess it's sort of foreshadowed that he's a loon, but they put it enough to bed that you would not think he'd come back to mm -hmm. to uh, haunt them again, but he really does, which was quite shocking. There was enough distance between yeah, the two. Yeah, yeah, and that's so, the thing too. I mean, when you want, when you watch a movie as influential as Texas Chainsaw is, like I mean, when you watch it through today's eyes, you know, fresh. I mean. Mm -hmm. You're sort of watching through the lens of all the films that sort of either paid homage to it off, yeah. or ripped it off. Same thing with Monty and Python. It's yeah, just, so I mean... The influence is, is so widely cast. Yeah, so in a sense, it's almost like it feels watered down. It doesn't feel as original. But when yeah. you look back and say, well, this was the grand day in the mall. This this yeah. is what originated these tropes, you know? Mm -hmm. It really it has a lot more impact. So um, the dinner scene is incredible because um, here you have um, Sally whose uh, brother's been slain, her friends have been slain. She's going through hell and back. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's escaped. She's been brought back over and over again. Um, all of a sudden, she finds herself sitting at this table. At the head of the table, and almost sort of for comic effect, and this is a weird sort of dining scene. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess ironic because the house where they film this is now a, uh, a restaurant. So any, it was, anytime, it was. I believe it's now been uh, torn down. Really? Yeah. Okay, I believe the house was torn down, and well, I guess there, there was two of them. Well, Gunnar, in, in Gunnar's book, he said there was one time when he enjoyed a really nice steak at this restaurant, but oh, it's no longer it, oh, there. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, you got the hitchhiker, who, you know, there was some distance, but there he is again. The, you got the weirdo gas station attendant. You got the, the gas station. You got the, the masked pet. killer. And there you got the masked killer. Um, the nubile women, uh, one of whom was cast as... The brawless <laughs> female protagonist, mm -hmm. and that was it. Really, no backstory other than they're going out to have fun somewhere. Okay, yeah. So here they are sitting around this dinner table, this sort of warped, kind of like Norman Rockwell esque yeah. dinner scene. But I mean, a movable feast, or not really movable, right. or actually anyway. what the Collins said was the Last Supper. Oh, okay, um, even that, yeah. And uh, they bring down Grandpa, played by John Dugan, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, Grandpa's 106 years old. Yeah. And, um, you well, know, I mean... He's dead, right? No, he's not dead. He's, he's alive, but barely. Oh, really? Yes. I, I took it that he was sort no, of involved. No, no, no. I guess that, that's probably a, you know, a contentious point as well for viewers. Actually, no, but he's, no, I'll tell you He's what. meant to be alive. He's alive. He's alive. Okay. He's very much alive. I mean, he's, he's, he's very much. <laughs> yeah, no, I, the fact that he can't move a single limb or well, spawn okay. in any kind of way. He's but a vegetable. He's a vegetable. But I mean, you know, the, the family holds him in great esteem. Yeah. And um, they want uh, they, they want, want him, him to do the kill. They want him to do the kill. But the one thing, another thing that was quite interesting is... Um, the final kill, yeah. The, you know, but before that, I mean, the cast... Okay. One thing I want to say about uh, Toby Hooper. I... Uh, I remember I don't I don't remember where this is attributed to, but I was reading a quote about uh, Texas Chainsaw, and they said, "You watch a film like Hitchcock, right? You know you're in the hands of a of a master of a master. Yeah. You watch <laughs> Texas Chainsaw, you're in the hands of a maniac. Uh -huh. You don't know what the hell is going on, right? There is no safety. There's no reassurance, and there was no safety reassurance for the cast. No. And um, in the scene when um, they cut uh, Sally's finger." Gunner is basically supposed to use a prop knife with fake blood, yeah. and it wasn't working. And Gunner, who's like, a, he's he's a nice guy. He's a sensitive guy. He's yeah. like, he was a teacher. He was a poet. He's like, you know what? Forget this. I'm just gonna cut her finger for real. I'm not gonna tell her. I, he did it. Wow. He thought it was an accident. He didn't realize until 20 years later at a convention when he told her he really cut her finger. He cut her finger for real. All of a sudden, there you have John Dugan's grandpa sucking. The real blood. The real blood. Yeah. Not even knowing that. I mean, adding to the sort of cinema verite sort of documentary. Well, not feel. to mention the fact that Gunner uh, nearly killed himself in the chase scene. Maybe. Where he went flying and mm -hmm. the chainsaw went north. He went south and he didn't know where it was going to land. Right. So if things had taken a different turn, he might have been a victim of the movie. And then cinema and verite. You know what? Knowing uh, Toby Hooper, he would have kept on rolling. He would have made it to the <laughs> final cut. But anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's that. And, of course, uh, Grandpa's... I mean, there, there's a lot... There is humor in Texas Chainsaw. I mean, it's, yeah. it's black humor. But, I mean, the scene when uh, when Grandpa's trying to, uh, to, to you know, give... Uh, yeah, give the final whack. Give a final whack. Yeah. I mean, he can barely hold the... That's probably why he thought he that's was what, dead. Yeah. I mean, you know. But it's 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 nuts, and then, and then uh, eventually, you know, she manages to escape, and it's just, it just harrowing. I mean, there's no there's no there's no safe resolution. No, even when she makes her, I mean, she is the last girl standing, yeah. right? But we know for a fact that this woman is wrecked for life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Based upon what she went through, what she saw in that house, in that uh, you know, that Texas farmhouse, um, the killers are still at large. Uh, I mean, yeah. one of them met their met their demise. I won't say who, in case mm -hmm. there is somebody who still hasn't seen the movie and isn't going to get spoiled. Yeah. But I mean, you know, you have Leatherface sort of dancing in the sun in the in the sunrise. It was Do an impromptu dance, which was just creepy as hell. Yeah. This is something you would never see. And really, he has for a guy who's masked with no dialogue other than squeals, pig-like squeals. He really is. Mm -hmm. uh, he's an, it's an incredible performance, and he brings much more humanity to it than than you know seven or eight or however many there are Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, for sure. And so in our last podcast, I mean, you mentioned that we always root for the protagonist. We never yeah. root for the antagonist. But I mean, there is some sympathy, I think, for for Bubba for Leatherface. I mean, in this sense, I yeah, he he researched his role, uh, I guess, at a, at a home for the challenged and and. 
sort of uh, reproduce their actions and their movements mm -hmm. to try and give his character a sense of, of that, which I guess in the one hand could be called exploitation, but on the other mm -hmm. hand, it really does give him sympathy because that's you could tell he was under the thumb of the uh, the patriarchs of that family. Yeah, and there's that, and the other thing too is you got to remember. I mean, these are people. I mean, this is their home. This is their castle, right? Mm -hmm. They're they're being invaded. Yeah, in a way, they're yes. being invaded. I mean. You know, they're not going out hunting down, you know, Sal and her friends. Sal no. and her friends are invading their domicile. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, they've it's already been... It's almost like he, he's, uh, yeah, he, he's, he's got a little bit of uh, know, like... OCD or some sort of, you know, and, and so it's, he's being, his space is being disrupted. Well, it's almost the same. It's almost like a little, like, straw dogs, you know, with Peckinpah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> like, you know, defending the castle. So, yeah, yeah, I mean... Dustin Hoffman, he was yeah. not in Star Wars and he was not in Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, yeah. <laughs> There's a dinner on that one. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, no. So, I mean, there, there is some sympathy for the antagonists. Um, but, of course, ultimately, you want to see, uh, see at least one person. Girl get away, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but anyway. So, you, I mean, okay. So, when I watched a movie in my, uh, in my 20s, I mean, it, it affected me. It shook me. I mean, it didn't keep me up at night. But, I mean, it's a movie I've revisited over and over and over again. And every time I see it, I mean, I'm, I'm just amazed at how... Bloody every scene, this every scene has something to commend. Yeah, it. and when fantastic I say fantastic acting, great writing, mm -hmm. like just even even the, like the um, you know, the tree, like the you know the uh, I guess it was plates hanging from the tree. Oh, I mean, we got to talk about the set design. Uh, Bob oh, Burns. I mean, Bob Burns design... who went on to uh, work work on Reanimator, which is one yeah, of yeah, our yeah. favorite movies indeed, of all time. Indeed, I mean that, that is incredible. A... The lengths he went to 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 stock this uh, house full of. Roadkill, essentially. Roadkill and sort of like weird sort of totems made out of bones and live <laughs> Getting chickens. back to The Godfather, as you mentioned earlier, they had a chance to put a dead horse in this thing. And they didn't because they were worried it would be too gory. And Speaking so of, they found a dead horse at the side of the road, decided to replace it with a dead armadillo. Armadillo, that's and right. I would love right. it if they had any leftover horse footage. That would have been super mm, cool. Mm. Um, a couple more things I want to say. Daniel Pearl, the cinematography was was unbelievable. The scene where um, I can't remember her name, but when she walks toward the house and the house yeah, sort of the, swallows the, her up, I mean, yeah, that was the swing set. Scene just, is exactly, incredible, absolutely incredible. iconic. Um, so, Chris, I mean, uh, has a, so obviously the film has grown in your estimation, right? Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure. I mean, it's. Uh, I would put it up there. I mean, not only is it one of the best uh, horror films I've ever seen, it's one of the best films I've ever seen. I mean, Tex sure. Texas Chainsaw is the granddaddy Except of them all. Except no imitators. Exactly. And unfortunately, some of those imitators were sequels, you know, inferior sequels. Part 2 was great. Uh, we have a review of it on the site, but it's yeah. a completely different beast entirely. Bit of a parody, um, sort of going for laughs, you know, taking a bit of the... Um, Black humor, the first one. Yeah, and intentionally of, going for laughs uh, rather than injecting black humor into morbid, more morbid uh, subject matter, which doesn't, you know, doesn't really work for this genre. Funny enough, starring Dennis Hopper, who claimed that it was the worst one he's ever appeared in. Yeah, I've seen this Waterworld. one. Man, that was in Waterworld with Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, yeah. So the less said about the sequels and the remakes, the better. Let you know, I mean, the original stands on its own. I mean, there's not even a point in giving it a rating. It's it's five star all the way. For sure. And. Um, Texas Case on Massacre, except uh, no substitutes. For sure. Go out and see it. And for more, uh, check out our site, www.reallyawfulmovies.com. We'll talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.